Hi, it's Amy Siskin of The Weekly List and author of the book, The List, and welcome to episode 32 of The Weekly List Podcast, which accompanies week 114 on The Weekly List website, theweeklylist.org, and corresponds to the week ended January 19, 2019. Welcome. Week 114 was the longest weekly list so far, and this was a rather frightening week, folks. First off, we are finishing off the fourth week of a government shutdown. Saturday marked day 29 in what is the longest shutdown in our government history. You're seeing the real effects on the American people that are furloughed federal workers as well as contractors as we're starting to see block-long lines at food banks and workers having to borrow from retirement accounts to make ends meet. Trump's approval has been, as a result of this, heading south. And conversely, Speaker Pelosi has seen a surge in her popularity. And the two of them seem to be butting heads. And she is holding firm on wanting to reopen our government. This week, there were also bombshell stories. We're going to discuss them all, including one at the end of the week by BuzzFeed that really felt strange because it came out. We spent all day Friday and late Thursday talking about it. And then late Friday for the first time since we've been at this, Mueller's team came out and refuted it. As we left the week, we were still uncertain about that story and still don't know the answers to that. What was true? What wasn't true? but an odd feeling, and obviously it gave Trump and his allies an opportunity to weaponize what Mueller's team had said to attack the credibility of the media. This week also, we're going to discuss some shocking stories of racism and xenophobia, including the picture that is the iconic picture that accompanies week 114 on the website. So let's get into it. As we started the week, we were hearing a bombshell story from the Washington Post that Trump has concealed the contents of five face-to-face interactions with Russian Russian President Vladimir Putin since taking office, leaving even members of his own regime largely in the dark. Trump's behavior is a break from norms, important to note that, from previous presidents who required senior aides to attend meetings with adversaries, including Russia, and especially noteworthy, given the investigations into Trump's Russia ties. After Trump's meeting with Putin in Hamburg in 2017, also attended by then Secretary of State Rex Tillerson, Trump confiscated the notes of his interpreter and instructed the linguists not to discuss the contents. White House officials and then National Security Advisor H.R. McMaster were unable to get a full account of the Hamburg meeting, even from Tillerson. The contents of the Helsinki meeting are also unknown. As a result, there's no detailed records, folks. This is not normal. Even in classified files of Trump's meetings with Putin, breaking from past norms, concerns have been compounded by Trump's pro-Kremlin actions and positions. So again, I just want to asterisk how important that was in light of how we left off last week with stories about Trump's ties and the FBI being investigating him as early as May 2017 uh, for possibly being under Russian influence. Then we opened up this week with stories 
that Trump has been keeping not only the American people in the dark, but this is important, folks, people in his own regime, including the National Security Advisor. And there's no notes about any of these meetings. This is just not normal. Red flag. Keep it in mind as we move on. And I, you know, I just I say that because every week there's so much stuff that I feel like by the time we get to Friday or Saturday, we have forgotten the stories early in the week that are so important. But these are bombshell, really important stories, and there are a lot of them this week. Uh, on Saturday, after the Washington Post story broke, Trump spoke to Fox News host Janine Pirro, attacking the Post and its owner Jeff Bezos, and falsely claiming he did not try to conceal contents of his meeting with Putin. Before going on the show, Trump promoted his appearance in a tweet, adding, quote, I am in the White House waiting for crying Chuck and Nancy to call. When Pirro asked Trump if he is or has ever been working for Russia, rather than answer directly, Trump responded, quote, I think it's the most insulting thing I've ever been asked. Trump also said on the Fox News show that Michael Cohen, quote, should give information maybe on his father-in-law, adding, quote, and I guess he didn't walk, want to talk about his father. He's trying to get his sentence reduced. Pirro painted Speaker Pelosi as uncaring, saying, quote, Nancy Pelosi's in Hawaii over the holidays. Now she's in Puerto Rico with a bunch of Democrats and lobbyists enjoying the sun and partying down there. On Sunday, Pirro retracted her false claim about Speaker Pelosi, tweeting, quote, the Speaker's office said she has been in D.C. all weekend. Pirro said she had based that on numerous reports that turned out to be wrong. Actually, CBS had reported on Thursday that Pelosi was not going, but I guess CBS is also fake news. On Sunday, three Democrats who chair House committees issued a statement calling on Trump to cease efforts to discourage, intimidate, or otherwise pressure Cohen not to provide testimony to Congress. Remember, we mentioned last week that Cohen is expected to um, go in front of the House Oversight Committee on February 7th. The Wall Street Journal reported this week that his testimony is expected to be highly restricted to avoid interfering with Mueller's Russia investigation, which is a little bit different of a nuance than we had last week. On Sunday, in a series of morning tweets, because it's Sunday in America and we get to wake up to Trump's Twitter account, Trump tweeted, quote, I'm in the White House waiting. The Democrats are everywhere but Washington as people await their pay. Trump also tweeted another misleading claim he has repeatedly used to push his wall, quote, thousands of illegal aliens who have committed sexual crimes against children most came across our southern border. On Sunday, a Washington ABC news poll found 53% of Americans blame Trump and the GOP for the government shutdown, while just 29% blame congressional Democrats. Similarly, a CNN poll found 56% of Americans oppose Trump's wall, while 39% oppose it. The poll also find, found 52% blame Trump for the government shutdown, while 32% blame the Democrats. So the American people have not been fooled. On Sunday, CBC News in Canada reported units of the Canadian Air Traffic Control Association sent pizzas to their counterparts at U.S. traffic centers as a gesture of solidarity and respect. As we discussed in past weeks, those folks are furloughed workers who are working without pay at our airports. On Sunday, Trump again attacked the Washington Post owner, 
Jeff Bezos, tweeting, quote, So sorry to hear the news about Jeff Bozo being taken down by a competitor, referring to the National Acquirer expose that led to his divorce. Trump also tweeted the Inquirer is, quote, far more accurate than the reporting of his lobbyist newspaper, the Amazon Washington Post, and that he hopes the Post will be placed in better and more responsible hands. Trump then invoked Wounded Knee, one of the worst Native American massacres, while attacking Senator Elizabeth Warren. Congress formally apologized in 1990 for the massacre, which killed and maimed hundreds. Trump tweeted about a video created by Senator Warren and said, quote, if Elizabeth Warren often referred to me as Pocahontas, did this commercial from Bighorn or Wounded Knee instead of her kitchen in full Indian garb, it would have been a smash. Now, I asked to read this story to you, folks. This happened on Sunday. The iconic photo in this week's list happened on Friday. Some young white men from Covington Catholic School in Kentucky staring down Native Americans, uh, including a vet who had served in Vietnam. So if you wonder where they're getting this stuff, check six days before in Trump's Twitter account, how we treat people in marginalized communities in this country and what is being normalized. On Sunday, an op-ed titled Brexit and the U.S. Shutdown to Governments in Paralysis explored two vulnerable democracies in crisis over populist projects, Brexit and Trump's wall, both of which are stalled. On Tuesday, British Parliament rejected Prime Minister Theresa May's Brexit deal in a 432-202 landslide, leaving withdrawal from the European Union and her political future in doubt. This is important, folks. Historians said not since the Victorian age has there been a comparable party split and defeat. Britain risks crashing out of the EU in a way which would have harsh economic and humanitarian consequences. So I I add in these stories that are happening globally because they impact what is happening here. And remember, Brexit happened shortly before uh, Trump's election. We're reporting stories week after week of Russians' possible interference in Brexit and funding through Cambridge Analytica, uh, groups that were supporting Brexit. So watch what's happening there because it's very closely peered to our own country. And again, what benefits Russia more than having the government of two great democracies or formerly great democracies, uh, Britain and the U.S., in peril? Um, So important story. We're going to talk more about that shortly. On Sunday, the Washington Post reported on Trump's erratic Syria withdrawal, which included announcing a full withdrawal, then sending National Security Advisor John Bolton to reassure allies and say there would be preconditions. Days later, Trump again switched positions and started withdrawing troops. Trump's impulsive behavior resulted in Mathis resigning and rattled allies and partners unsure of U.S. commitment to the region. Again, we've lost Mattis, then we changed positions, and now we've changed positions again. On Monday, the Wall Street Journal reported Turkey is seeking the extradition of Anis Kanter, a a Turkish center for the NBA New York Knicks, who prosecutors in Istanbul claim is part of the movement by the cleric Gullen that they've been trying to get extradited. On Monday, the New York Times reported, according to senior officials, Trump said privately he wants to withdraw the U.S. from the North American 
excuse me, North Atlantic Treaty Organization, also known as NATO, several times during 2018. Again, we just talked about what's happening with Brexit and the wall shuttering basically two of the major democracies shuttering their governments or putting them in serious peril. And now we have stories, these strange stories that we've been talking about since we started the weekly list of Trump's disdain for NATO. Such a move, if the U.S. were to withdraw from NATO, would essentially destroy NATO and be a coup for who? Russia. Officials say when they think about the issue of NATO membership has been scuttled, Trump again brings up his desire to leave the 70-year-old alliance. In his resignation letter, Mattis cited his commitment to America's alliances. European and American officials said Mattis, a former top NATO commander, had reassured allies and his exit has increased worries. So again, we started off this week talking about Trump's clandestine meetings with Putin that no one knows the contents of. And again, this very strange desire on Trump's part, despite advice he's gotten from everybody who served him, that he still wants to withdraw from NATO. On Monday, House Intelligence and Foreign Affairs Committees met with lawyers to evaluate legal options for subpoenaing the interpreters who were present when Trump privately spoke to Putin. On Monday, speaking to reporters in front of the White House, Trump changed his mind from what he told Jeanine Pirro and formally said, I never worked for Russia, adding, I think it's a disgrace that you even ask that question because it's a whole big fat hoax. It's just a hoax. Trump also said of James Comey, quote, he was a bad cop and he was a dirty cop and called the FBI officials who launched the counterintelligence investigation of his ties to Russia, quote, known scoundrels and, quote, dirty cops. On Monday, Fox News legal analyst Greg Jarrett told Sean Hannity that it is time to disband and replace the FBI, (laughs) saying, frankly, it's time for it to be halted in its tracks, reorganized and replaced. On Monday, conservative-leaning Rasmussen polls said Trump's approval on its daily tracking poll had fallen to 43%, the lowest in nearly a year. Trump's approval has been falling since his Oval Office address. Conversely, Speaker Pelosi has seen her popularity rise since the midterms. Due to to a 13-point rise in Democratic support with her opposition to Trump, Gallup ratings has her more popular than she has been in a decade. Gallup reported Trump's two-year approval average is the lowest for second-year presidents elected in office since World War II. At 39%, he is on track to have the lowest approval rating of any president in history. Trump's approval rating also set a record for polarization of 79 points. He's averaging an 87% job approval with Republicans and 8% with Democrats. On Monday, and now we're going to talk about (laughs) interspersing throughout the week, some of the things that are happening in the real world as a result of the shutdown happening, having its fourth week. On Monday, two Transportation Security Administration officers were fired after a passenger was able to get a gun through a checkpoint in Atlanta's airport. TSA said in a statement it was not because of the shutdown. Okay. And this is really weird, folks. In an anonymous op-ed at Conservative Daily Caller, 
A senior Trump official wrote, they hope for a long government shutdown, calling it, quote, an opportunity to strip wasteful government agencies for good. The official also wrote of, quote, targeting the resistance, saying, quote, now that we are in a shutdown, not only are we identifying and eliminating much of the sabotage and waste, but we are finally working on the president's agenda. Now you see this anonymous op-ed that is clearly telling, giving permission for Trump to keep the government shutdown going as long as possible. And because it's anonymous, you think, oh, maybe they don't know about it or it's not part of Trump's working. But a few hours later, Donald Jr. tweeted the Daily Caller op-ed himself and wrote, quote, worth the read. That was Monday. On Tuesday, Trump shared it as well, retweeting Donald Jr.'s tweet. So that messaging got out there to his base. We also had more people leaving the regime this week. On Monday, Politico reported White House Deputy, Deputy Press Secretary Raj Shah resigned and will be joining lobbying firm Ballard Partners. If you haven't heard of them, go to the Weekly List website and you can look under Ballard and you'll see a few stories. They've been in our Weekly List already. Uh, the Washington Post reported that Deputy Secretary Pam Pattenrode, second in command at the Department of Housing and Urban Development, resigned after butting heads with the Trump regime over her 16-month tenure. She was widely recognized as HUD's most capable political leader and the main administrator for the department. So this is important, folks. She's number two by name, but Ben Carson has absolutely no experience in anything to do with our government prior to getting an, an appointment as a cabinet job. So the person actually doing the job of running that agency has left the department. Uh, she departed over housing policy and the regime's attempt to block disaster recovery money for Puerto Rico. Okay, now we're going to talk about, speaking of blocking aid for Puerto Rico, uh, some other stories relating to the disturbing everyday racism in our country and how we're letting some, we're going to start with a story relating to um, something happening abroad that our lack of leadership on and lack of being moral authority is enabling. On Monday, The Guardian reported two are dead and 40 detained in a new crackdown on LGBTQ people in Russia's Chechnya region. Activists say the death were caused by the use of torture by police. On Monday, House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy told reporters that the GOP had voted unanimously to strip Representative Steve King of his committee assignments following King's remarks to the New York Times last week. As if this is like a shock, the guy has been saying it, as we pointed out last week, like every year since he's been elected, Trump and everybody else asked for his blessing and gave him money when he's running, and suddenly it's in the New York Times, and it's, oh my goodness, we're stripping him of his, of his committee's positions. Uh, also on Tuesday, the Des Moines Register and CO City Journal editorial boards called on him to resign. On Tuesday, this is more down the alley of what we should be talking about, the Washington Post editorial board noted that after a 40-seat House drubbing in the midterms, the Republicans have finally spoken out about Representative King's bigotry, and the board asks, what about Donald Trump's? And they were so concerned about his bigotry that on Wednesday, the Huffington Post reported representatives Andy Harris and Phil Rowe met with a Holocaust-denying white nationalist named Chuck Johnson 
to discuss DNA sequencing at the Capitol. Here's another great one. On Tuesday, the Huffington Post reported Second Lady Karen Pence started work as an art teacher this week at Emanuel Christian School, a private school that openly bans LGBT students and teachers. The school's parent agreement says it will refuse admission to students who participate in or condone homosexual activity. God help us. The employment application says faculty pledges not to engage in homosexual activity. Here we are in 2019. The second lady of our country is going to a school that openly discriminates against students and teachers. What kind of message are we sending folks? On Thursday, CNN reported on a lawsuit against General Motors by eight employees saying managers at the Toledo powertrain plant in Ohio did little to stop, little or nothing to stop racism and intimidation during 2018. This is happening in 2018, not 1960, 2018. Employees described bathrooms declared for whites only. Black supervisors denouncing a boy and denounced as a boy and ignored by their subordinates and black employees being called monkey or told go back to Africa. This is 2018 in Ohio. Employees described nooses being hung around the plant. The lawsuit said GM responded by having mandatory meetings after the nooses, but the focus was on violence, not racial discrimination or intimidation. On Thursday, the House floor erupted after Republican Representative Jason Smith yelled, go back to Puerto Rico across the aisle as Democratic Representative Tony Cardenas was at the podium. Smith's spokesperson claimed the remark was not directed at Cardenas, who is Latino, but rather at Democrats who vacationed there last week. Representative Smith also apologized. On Thursday, the Inspector General for the Department of Health and Human Services issued a report finding the Trump regime separated thousands more migrant children at the border than previously reported. The regime also separated 118 children from July to November after the end of its zero-tolerance policy, and thousands more were taken in before the regime formally announced its policy of separating families. So we don't know the truth about that yet. The report found separated children accounted for 0.3% of unaccompanied minors in HHS custody in late 2016, but the number surged more than tenfold to 3.6% by August 2017. The report also found flawed data systems and poor communication between federal agencies. Migrant children also were kept longer at Border Patrol holding cells, with 860 staying longer than three days, which is the max they are allowed. On Thursday, NBC News reported, according to a draft plan of the regime's zero-tolerance policy leaked by a whistleblower to Senator Jeff Merkley, the Trump regime weighed speeding up the deportation of migrant children. The plan would deny migrant children their legal right to asylum. That was part of their plan. Part of their, excuse me, would deny migrant children their legal right to asylum hearings after separating them from their parents and also showed the regime would target parents in migrant families for increased prosecution. So they were going to separate these kids from their parents, these kids, many of whom don't speak English, and they were going to deny them the right 
that they're entitled to for a hearing. This was part of the draft of their plan. On Friday, Senator Merkley requested an FBI investigation into whether Department of Homeland Security Secretary Christian Nielsen lied under oath while testifying before Congress on Trump's separation, family separation policies. So finally, some accountability, we hope. And then the picture that goes with this week's list. On Saturday, Covington Catholic High School faced a backlash after a viral video of its students, many wearing Make America Great Caps, Make Again hats, caps, taunted a man who was drumming at the Indigenous People's March in Washington, D.C. Covington is a private all-boys school in Kentucky. The school's website showed students' plan to attend the March for Life event on Friday, after fielding calls and emails, the school made their social media private. So that's where we left it. Again, this list goes Saturday to Saturday. That's where we left it as of Saturday. On Monday, and now we're going to get back to fun in the Trump regime. On Monday, Trump hosted the college football national champion Clemson Tigers at the White House and served fast food from McDonald's, Wendy's, and Burger King, calling it, quote, great American food. On Tuesday, Trump tweeted about the event, quote, because of the shutdown, I served the massive amounts of fast food, and then in parens, I paid over 1,000 hamburgers. That became another <laughs> buzzword. Trump deleted the tweet and spelled hamburger correctly in a replacement tweet. In response, the Twitter account for Burger King poked fun at Trump's misspelling, tweeting, quote, due to a large order placed yesterday, we're all out of hamburgers. We're just serving hamburgers today. Remember when that kind of stuff didn't happen, when we weren't having like dictionaries and corporations troll that the person who is running our country is tweeting things that are either absurd, offensive, misspelled, or factually incorrect? Remember the good old days? I do. On Monday, CNN reported Trump's legal team rebuffed Mueller's request in recent weeks for an in-person session with Trump to ask follow-up questions. Reportedly, Mueller was not satisfied with written answers. So now we're going to talk about Russia, which I kind of take as a good sign that Mueller's asking for an in-person interview. Hopefully that means we're near the end. On Monday, the Daily Beast reported Mueller's team and federal prosecutors in Manhattan are investigating a meeting attended by Representative Devin Nunes. Remember him? And then NSA, Michael Flynn, and dozens of national, excuse me, dozens of foreign officials. The breakfast event took place, of all places, at Trump Hotel DZ on January 18, 2017, two days before Trump's inauguration. Investigators are examining Trump's inauguration committee, uh, misspent funds and foreign contributions. So again, folks, just noteworthy there, Nunes, who was formerly head of the House Intelligence Committee when the Republicans were in control and has done all sorts of things to make justice not happen in our country, two days before the inauguration was meeting with foreign officials at the Trump Hotel DC. On Tuesday, Paul Manafort's team filed a 31-page court document with 406 nearly blacked out exhibits detailing the deliberate falsehoods told by Manafort to support the government's argument. His plea deal is now void. The heavily redacted document cites Manafort lied about payments and financial relationships, his deals with Konstantin Kimlinek, his contacts with people in the Trump regime and other topics. 
Based on the document, Kilmanick appears to be a central figure in Mueller's investigation into Russian interference in the 2016 election, and that Manafort communicated with Kim- Kimlick uh, beginning August 2, 2016. On Tuesday, Mueller's team told a federal judge, former Trump campaign aide Rick Gates is cooperating with, quote, several ongoing investigations and asked the judge to delay his sentencing for financial crimes. The Daily Beast reported Gates is cooperating in the ongoing investigation into possible Middle Eastern influence and has answered questions about side group, which allegedly helped with social media manipulation. So again, the last two stories that we've talked about, I know we spend a lot of time on Russia, but have to do with Middle East and Turkey uh, being involved in trying to gain favor with our government or somehow influence our government or our election. On Thursday, Facebook took down hundreds of pages from an account that had posed as independent news sites in Eastern Europe, but was actually run by employees of Russian state-owned news agency Sputnik. Facebook said 364 pages and accounts removed had almost 800,000 followers and were targeting users in Romania, Latvia, Estonia, Lithuania, Georgia, and Moldova, and posting anti-NATO messaging. On Wednesday, Trump attorney Rudy Giuliani, this was like, is this really happening? Although I say that multiple times every week, but I I saw this video and I was like, what just happened here, folks? Rudy Giuliani told CNN, quote, I never said there was no collusion between the campaign or people in the campaign, adding, I said, the president of the United States. So, okay. This is like a reiteration of so many different versions of reality Rudy has said, but all of us were just like, hold it. Did Rudy just say, I never said there was no collusion between the campaign? Because I think that's what he just said. And it's on this video that I keep replaying on my TV of him saying that out loud. Okay, so that happened on Wednesday. Giuliani back peddled uh, was a latest in a series of conflicting statements. Previously, he had denied that there was any coordination by Trump campaign aides. His comments received much public attention. And then on Thursday, he changed his story again, telling the New York Times, quote, I have no knowledge of collusion involving the campaign, nor does the president. However, I only represent the president, and that's all I can speak for. Strange and ambiguous statement. On Thursday, the Belarusian escort that we've spoken about before, who was known as a sex, what was it, a uh, sex uh, trainer, I think was the word they used, Anastasia Vel, I'm going to butcher her last name, Vesukovich, excuse me, who claimed to have tapes that could link Russia to Trump's election and had leaks to Deripaska. She had actual videotapes of him um, speaking about that was deported from Thailand to Russia. Uh, The Russian opposition leader, uh, Navalny, posted a video on Friday showing that she was forcibly detained, struggling as two men tried to put her in a wheelchair and drag her into an elevator. You'll remember she had offered to give the FBI investigation the information she had on Russia's attempts to interfere in our election Purportedly, the U.S. had tried to get her from Thailand to be able to come back and speak to the Mueller probe, and that had not been permitted. Now she's in Russia. 
On Thursday, the Wall Street Journal reported in early 2015, Michael Cohen hired IT firm Redfinch Solutions, LLC, run by John Gardner, who is chief information officer at Liberty University, hired him to rig polls in favor of Trump. In January 2014, Cohen asked him to help push up Trump's ranking in a CNBC poll, online poll of the country's top business leaders. And in February 2015, in a Drudge Report poll of potential Republican candidates. Cohen also asked Iger to create a Twitter account, Woman for Cohen, which was created in May 2016 and described Cohen as a, quote, sex symbol. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, boy. Uh, and promoted his appearances and statements on Trump's candidacy. Okay, so that account apparently didn't work because raising your hand if you were viewing Michael Cohen as a sex symbol. Exactly. None of us. Uh, Cohen had said he would pay for he would pay Geiger fifty thousand, but when Geiger came to Trump Tower to collect, Cohen instead gave him between twelve thousand and thirteen thousand in cash and a boxing glove, and allegedly pocketed the rest of the money himself. On Thursday, Lanny Davis, an attorney who has been advising Michael Cohen on his media strategy, told MSNBC that Cohen is reconsidering his plan to testify before Congress because of intimidation by Trump. We talked about that already this week, but we're not done talking about Trump's intimidation of Cohen. On Thursday, the Wall Street Journal reported on a settlement reached between Mueller's team and law firm Skadden Arps. The settlement is fallout from Manafort's years of work in Ukraine for pro-Russian politicians. Skadden agreed to turn over $4.6 million in fees for work it did in Ukraine in 2012 with Manafort, and also to register as a lobbyist for a foreign government in connection with that work, and to acknowledge it misled the Department of Justice. On Friday, The Hill reported the Senate Intelligence Committee has subpoenaed Jerome Corsi, remember him, the Roger Stone associate, for an interview and documents. Corsi's attorney said his legal team plans to contest the subpoena. On Monday, the White House announced Ivanka Trump will play a role in selecting the next president of the World Bank. Okay, so now we're going to talk about what's happening in the Trump regime. <laughs> so Ivanka, who we said last week was going to be put up, sort of her name was floated out there to actually run the World Bank. Uh, this week, the White House announced, no, she's not going to actually be put up to run it, but to help in selecting the next president. Uh, of the World Bank. The White House said that despite rumors in one week 113, Ivanka is not a candidate for the position. Officials claim Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin asked Ivanka for her help. Ethics experts raise concern about Ivanka's involvement given she continues to hold trademarks around the world. Remember when we cared about that kind of thing? On Monday, a federal judge in Philadelphia put a nationwide hold on the Trump regime's rules set to take effect that day, allowing employers to opt out of providing women with no-cost no cost birth control under Obamacare. Judge Wendy Beetlestone noted that the Trump regime violated procedural requirements for how regulations must be created and that the rules exceed the scope of authority under the Affordable Care Act. On Tuesday, a federal judge blocked the Trump regime from adding a question about citizenship to the 2020 census, saying Commerce, Commerce Secretary Wilbur Ross's decision to add the question broke the law. So again, our judiciary branch seems at times to be the only thing holding things together for us.
The Trump regime had claimed they needed to add the question to enforce the Voting Rights Act of 1965. However, the government has not asked about citizenship status of the entire population since the 1950 census. But since we're heading back to the 1950s, that seems about right. Here's another fun story of kleptocracy. The Washington Post reported in April 2018, the day after T-Mobile announced its $26 billion merger with Sprint, which would require approval from the Trump regime, executives started staying at the Trump Hotel D.C. See, AT&T and Time Warner should have thought of that. By mid-June, one T-Mobile executive had stayed at the hotel 10 times. Celebrity CEO John Laguerre stayed for three days after the announcement and at least three other times wearing his company t-shirt in the lobby. On Friday, the New York Times reported Treasury Secretary Mnuchin flew to Los Angeles on a private jet owned by billionaire Michael Milken, the latest example of the regime using luxury or government aircraft for personal reasons. Trump regime officials, including Mnuchin, have been encouraging Trump to pardon Milken. What a coincidence. You get to go on his private jet and you ask Trump to pardon him, who pleaded guilty to six criminal charges related to securities transactions undertaken in the 1980s and served jail time. On Tuesday morning, Trump tweeted, quote, a big new caravan is heading up to our southern border from Honduras, adding, quote, tell Nancy and Chuck that a drone flying around will not stop them. Only a wall will work. Tens of thousands of Hondurans and other Central Americans have migrated north in recent years to flee violence and poverty. But until last year, under Trump, got little notice. So this has always been happening. There actually, as we've talked about last week, less migrants coming to our border than there were 10 years ago, but it's suddenly, voila, manufactured crisis because Trump wants his little wall. On Tuesday, the Senate Judiciary Committee held hearings for Attorney General nominee William Barr. He faced tough questions on the department's remaining independent and on the Mueller probe. Asked about a 2017 email he sent to the New York Times saying he saw more reason to investigate Uranium One and the Clinton Foundation than Russia, Barr said the investigations shouldn't be launched just because Trump wants it. When asked if the Mueller report will be made fully public, Barr suggested Mueller's findings would be filtered through the Attorney General, uh, who would decide what Congress and the public were allowed to see. So that's troubling, folks. Barr said he saw no reason to revise DOJ guidelines that a sitting president cannot be indicted, but that if Trump pardoned someone in exchange for not incriminating him, that would be a crime. Barr committed to not firing Mueller and said he would make sure Mueller had the funds and time necessary to finish his work. Barr said Giuliani would not be allowed to correct the report as Giuliani offered that he should be able to do last week. Barr said he would not seek the, the that he would seek the advice of DOJ career ethics personnel on recusal, but he would make a final decision on his own recusal. So unlike in, uh, you know in the past, what would be normal if you get the advice is you should recuse, that would have been normal. He's going to make the final decision, and let me tell you what the final decision is going to be. Uh, Barr also said he would resign if Trump fired someone to stop the investigation. On Tuesday, here's another guy who was told to recuse himself and didn't. 
House Judiciary Committee Chair Jerome Nadler said Acting Attorney General Matt Whitaker has agreed to testify next month about his views on the Mueller probe and his decision not to recuse himself. Now let's get back to the government shutdown. National Geographic reported key environmental impacts of the shutdown include national parks at risk, halt to monitoring toxic chemicals and food screenings, disrupting long-term science, and marine animals at risk. On Monday, the Food and Drug Administration called back hundreds of furloughed workers without pay to resume inspection of some high-risk food. It was unclear how many of the workers would actually return because they're being asked again where 29 days in, to work without pay. And not everyone in America, as Nancy Pelosi said, can ask daddy for money. Most Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. We're a month in. On Monday, Glamour Glamour reported domestic violence shelters nationwide are struggling to remain open as federal funding that was set aside for them last year for reimbursement has not arrived. On Tuesday, the White House called tens of thousands of employees back to work without pay at the Federal Aviation Administration to ensure flight safety and at the Internal Revenue Service to process tax returns. Trump also tried a new strategy of reaching out to moderate House Democrats in districts that voted for him in 2016 and inviting them to lunch at the White House to go around Speaker Pelosi on Tuesday, and none of them showed up. On Tuesday, a revised estimate by the Council of Economic Advisors showed that the shutdown is beginning to have real economic consequences and could push the U.S. economy into a contraction. Okay, that's <laughs> we talked about this last week, the, the, what's happening to our quarterly growth, and now we're saying we could go into a contraction because of the shutdown. On Tuesday, active Coast Guard members missed their first paycheck, the only military branch to work without pay during the shutdown. The Coast Guard is part of the Department of Homeland Security. Coast Guard Commander Commander, uh, Admiral Carl Schultz said in a statement, quote, to the best of my knowledge, this marks the first time in our nation's history that service members of the U.S. Armed Forces have not been paid during a lapse in government appropriations. On Tuesday, six prominent veterans groups held a rare joint news conference calling for an end to the shutdown, saying tens of thousands of veterans are facing financial hardships as they go without pay. Bloomberg reported furloughed federal workers are pulling money out of retirement plans to make ends meet. One data point showed a 34% jump in hardship withdrawals in the two and a half weeks after Christmas. Nonetheless, on Tuesday, Trump tweeted, quote, why is Nancy Pelosi getting paid when people who are working are not? Pelosi responded, quote, stop holding the paychecks of 800,000 Americans hostage. Reopen the government. Speaking of which, on Tuesday, Senate Majority Senate Leader Mitch McConnell for a second time blocked a House bill to reopen the government uh, from coming to the floor for a vote. On Tuesday, House Majority Leader Steny Hoyer announced he planned to introduce a resolution which would block the Trump regime from lifting sanctions on Russian oligarch Oleg Deripaska's businesses. On Wednesday, Democrats fell short in the Senate on a measure to keep sanction on Deripaska's businesses as 11 Republicans joined Democrats in a 57 to 42 vote, but it still fell short of the 60 needed. Just notice 11 Republicans did vote with Democrats. 
and an interesting picture that is not in this weekly list, but just to note, um, Russian state television was showing a picture of the senators who decided not to vote against Deripaska as these are our guys. So that was also interesting. On Thursday, in a rebuke to Trump, 136 House Republicans did join Democrats in a 362 to 53 vote against the Treasury Department's plan to lift sanctions against Deripaska's company. House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy and Whip Steve Scalise broke with Trump to join Democrats and support the resolution, as did the rest of the leadership team, leaving Leader McConnell in an awkward spot. So overwhelmingly passed to block lifting sanctions against Deripaska's companies, including House leaders in the House and Mitch McConnell, again, clogging things up. Politico reported the Border Wall Union deleted a webpage from 2012, which said building walls and fences along the border to stop illegal immigrants would be, quote, wasting taxpayer money. On Wednesday, popular rapper Cardi B blasted Trump over the government shutdown in a viral expletive-laden message to her nearly 40 million Instagram followers that was shared all over social media. In the 58-second video, she says, quote, our country is in a hellhole right now, adding, quote, all for a fucking wall, and, quote, I really feel bad for these people who got to go to fucking work to not get motherfucking paid. And it really resonated with people. This is a rapper who usually does not get into politics, but people are feeling the real impact of not getting paid for almost a month now. On Wednesday, day 26 of the shutdown, the House passed a disaster relief bill to reopen parts of the government through February 8th. Trump said he will not support any bill without $5.7 billion of funding for his wall. On Thursday, Trump tweeted, quote, the left has become totally unhinged. They no longer care what is right for our country. He misspelled country. And later saying Schumer is, quote, groveling to end the shutdown, but Pelosi will not. And on Friday, Senate Republicans again blocked the legislation that the House had voted for to reopen the government. This marks the third time McConnell has blocked House stopgap measures. And again, he also was able to organize enough Republicans to not block, lift sanctions, um, block lifting sanctions against Deripaska. So what is Mitch McConnell up to? Hmm. On Thursday, a new NPR PBS News Maris poll found on Trump's approval that parts of his base is slipping. Trump had a net 18-point loss with suburban men from 51 to 49 approved down to 42 to 58, excuse me, 48 from January to December. Trump also lost 24 points with white women without a college degree, which is a big part of his base. Overall, he has lost net 10 points with Republicans. From 90% approval, 7% disapprove, down to 83% approve, 10% disapprove. On Wednesday, Pelosi sent a letter to Trump asking him to postpone a State of the Union scheduled for January 29th in the House chamber or deliver it in writing, citing security concerns related to the shutdown. Pelosi cited the Secret Service and Department of Homeland Security of key responsibilities for planning and implementing security, and both are hamstrung by furloughs. Pelosi suggested using the Oval Office instead. 
AP reported while he remained publicly silent behind the scenes, Trump was stewing about how Pelosi's move was being received on cable TV, reiterating fears that he was being outmaneuvered in the public eye. On Thursday, as her delegation was about to depart, Trump advised Pelosi in a letter made public that he was postponing the House delegation's trip to Afghanistan due to the shutdown, calling it a their trip a public relations event. Trump wrote, quote, due to the shutdown, I am very sorry to inform you, this is a letter to Pelosi, that your trip to Brussels, Egypt, and Afghanistan has been postponed. We will reschedule the seven-day excursion when the shutdown is over. Trump wrote, quote, obviously, if you would like to make your journey by flying commercial, that would be certainly your prerogative. In actuality, the trip was to visit troops and commanders in Afghanistan, an active U.S. combat zone. Uh, and there was no stop in Egypt. Pelosi's spokesperson said the stop in Brussels was mainly to allow pilots to rest and also was set to have included meetings with NATO leadership because we need that. And again, Egypt wasn't even on her itinerary. I mean, that's how disorganized this regime is. They you know, have this like, oh, we're going to get you back. We're going to send this letter. And they don't even like take the time to understand what her itinerary is for. Like, where did Egypt come up with? Oh, that's kind of in between there. We'll just add that to the list. It is typical for members of Congress to travel around the world as part of their congressional business on military planes arranged by the State Department. Details are kept secret for security reasons until they return. Trump then canceled the trip because he was getting like blowback for this. He then canceled the trip by several of his cabinet members to the World Economic Forum in Davos, citing the partial government shutdown. Trump canceled his own appearance at Davos last week. However, two hours later, after Trump grounded Pelosi, Melania Trump took off on an Air Force modified Boeing 5757, the same plane that Pelosi's delegation was set to use from Joint Base Andrews and headed to Mar-a-Lago. On Friday, Pelosi's spokesperson said as the delegation, quote, prepared to fly commercially, so they were going to actually fly commercially, to proceed with this vital trip, this morning we learned that the administration had leaked the commercial travel plans as well. On Friday, Trump tweeted, quote, why would Nancy Pelosi leave the country with other Democrats on a seven-day excursion, adding, Nancy and her big donors in wine country want farm workers to have easy access in. On fi Friday, the meanwhile, while we're not allowing Pelosi to fly, the official Twitter account of the presidency of the Republic of Turkey posted a photo of Lindsey Graham shaking hands with an authoritarian leader, uh, President Erdogan. Um, so again, we're not allowed to visit our troops, but Lindsey Graham can go meet with an authoritarian leader. On Friday, Pelosi told reporters the leak was a shocking break of protocol. She said Trump's, quote, inexperience may have led him to leak the information, but his staff should have known, quote, the danger not only to us, but to other people. When asked by reporters if she thought Trump was retaliating over her request to postpone the State of the Union, Pelosi said, I would hope not. I don't think the president would be that petty. Do you? She has the best lines. Okay, I'm going to say that again. Just in case you weren't tuning in, wake up, folks. I know it's a long <laughs> podcast this week. When at, This is Nancy Pelosi. When asked by reporters if she thought Trump was retaliating over her request to postpone the State of the Union, Pelosi said, quote, I would hope not. I don't think the president would be that petty. Do you? 
Washington Post reported that Trump has regularly breached security protocols, also including having a Russian photographer in the Oval Office and inadvertently revealing Jared Kushner heading to Iraq in advance. On Friday, California Governor Gavin Newsom said his state will offer the federal workers unemployment coverage despite the federal government telling the state it cannot do so. On Friday, former President George W. Bush posted a photograph on Instagram of him delivering pizza to his unpaid Secret Service detail and calling for both sides to end the government shutdown. On Friday, in a series of tweets on immigration, changing the subject, Trump tweeted, quote, another big caravan heading our way, very hard to stop without a wall. Trump also tweeted an unfounded claim by the Washington Examiner saying, quote, border rancher, we found prayer rugs here, claiming Islamic prayer rugs are being found at the southern border. Ahead of midterms, Trump had also claimed there very well could be a large number of Middle Easterners in the, cav- in the caravan, but later acknowledged there's no proof of anything. Trump also claimed in a tweet that the GOP is behind him on keeping the government shut for his wall, saying, quote, never seen the Republican Party so unified, no cave on the issue of border and national security. On Friday, Trump had a 90-minute meeting in the Oval Office with Kim Jong-chol, a former North Korean intelligence officer who had acted, who acts as a top nuclear negotiator. So again, I, this is like the fourth ranking official in North Korea. Trump had a 90-minute meeting with him Friday in the Oval Office, 90 minutes without preconditions. Uh, And again, this is after, as we've been covering extensively, after the Singapore summit, North Korea has, has backed off of everything Trump claimed they said they would do. Nonetheless, after the meeting, Press Secretary Sarah Sanders, not Trump, but Sarah Sanders announced Trump and Kim Jong-un will hold a second summit in February. On Friday, Trump's 2020 campaign sent an email seeking donations of $20.20 and pledging to send fake bricks to Speaker Pelosi and Minority Leader Schumer over their refusal to pay for the wall. Okay, now we're going to talk about a BuzzFeed story. And as we close out this week... We don't know the answer of what's right here and what is not. Um, This is unprecedented. And I want to describe it, and I kept it in the list because this is an important uh, event in our country. But I'm I'm going to describe the story and how it came out and how it felt for the purpose of history, and in case you weren't tuning in uh, this week. But here's what happened. Late Thursday evening, as many of us were setting to power down our phones, as if we're ever allowed to do that anymore, uh, BuzzFeed broke a major bombshell story. That basically, I'm going to talk about what the story said because it was a, a major bombshell. It said that Trump directed Michael Cohen to lie to Congress about the Trump Tower Moscow project. I'm going to tell about the rest of the story, but I just need to, and we added in a disclaimer at bullet 162 where we start the story that Mueller's team later refuted the story. But again, this is coming out Thursday night, just as everyone's set to like close out their day at 11 o'clock or whatever it is that we're used to in the Trump regime, but this major story broke. BuzzFeed sources for the story were two federal law enforcement officials involved in an investigation. Michael Cohen was not interviewed for the story. Mueller's team learned about Trump directing Cohen. This is all in this BuzzFeed news story. Mueller's team learned about Trump directing Cohen to lie through interviews with multiple witnesses from the Trump organization 
and internal company emails, text messages, and a cache of other documents. Attorneys close to the regime helped Cohen prepare his testimony and draft his statements to the Senate panel. That's shocking. (laughs) Say that again. According to this reporting, attorneys close to the regime helped Michael Cohen prepare his testimony and draft his statements to the Senate panel. An attorney for Don McGahn told BuzzFeed he had, quote, no involvement with or any knowledge of Michael Cohen's testimony. So he's trying to defend himself there. Trump was aware Cohen was speaking to Russia, to the Russian government officials about the deal and supported a plan to personally visit Moscow and meet with Putin during the presidential campaign to jumpstart negotiations. Donald Jr. and Ivanka also received regular briefings from Cohen, who was put in charge of the project. Federal investigators are seeking to clarify the role the two played in the Moscow Tower negotiations. The deal reportedly would have brought Trump in excess of $300 million in profits. Reportedly, Trump had more than 10 face-to-face meetings with Cohen about the project during the campaign. A spokesperson for Ivanka Trump, who was slated to manage the project spa, told BuzzFeed she was, quote, minimally involved. Donald Jr. told Congress in September 17th he was peripherally aware of the project. On Thursday, Giuliani dismissed a report telling a Washington Post reporter, if you believe Cohen, I can get you a great deal on the Brooklyn Bridge. Again, as we mentioned, Cohen was not a source for the story. On Thursday, in reaction to the BuzzFeed story, the Twitter account for Dictionary, Marion Webster tweeted, Suborn, S-U-B-O-R-N, which they said, quote, specifically to induce to commit perjury, broadly to induce secretly to do an unlawful thing. On Friday, Trump tweeted a quote by Kevin Cork on Fox News that Cohen is, quote, convicted of perjury and fraud and adding, quote, lying to reduce his jail time and again threatening FEMA Schusterman, watch out father-in-law. Okay, so again, all week Trump has been threatening Cohen, the father, and the father-in-law. On Friday evening, this is, again, what we're living in. So everyone is like, uh, all day. This story came out late Thursday, all day Friday. If you turned on the news, all, everyone was talking about this BuzzFeed story. They were giving the asterisk, we haven't confirmed reporting, but if this is true, blah, blah, blah. On Friday evening, Mueller's team issued a rare statement and it said, quote, BuzzFeed's description of specific statements to the special counsel's office, the characterization of documents and testimony obtained by this office regarding Michael Cohen's congressional testimony are not accurate. The statement from Mueller's team shook the country after the media had been covering the BuzzFeed story and its impact all day long, and Democratic lawmakers had suggested it could spell the end for Trump. Mueller's team speaks exceedingly rarely in public on any matter and had never previously issued a statement regarding evidence in its investigation. No other media outlets were able to confirm BuzzFeed's reporting. Washington Post reported Mueller's denial aimed to make clear that none of the statements in the story are accurate. Reportedly, concern grew over Democrats in Congress demanding answers and investigations in the story. BuzzFeed, however, in a statement Friday night, stood by their reporting, saying, we are continuing to report and determine what the special counsel is disputing. We remain confident in the accuracy of our report. And just mind you, still today, as we record this podcast, 
BuzzFeed is sticking with their reporting, so we do not know the answer. One of the smartest um, journalism professors at NYU, Jay Rosen, is is wisely tweeting, don't make a judgment on this folks yet. We don't know what the truth of the matter is. But nonetheless, the fact that the Mueller probe, who Trump loves to chastise weekly, uh, the Ang- Mueller and the 12 angry Democrats, and say what everything they're doing is a hoax and a witch hunt, uh, Trump and his allies then took this opportunity of Mueller's team being on his side, seemingly on something, to weaponize it and attack the media. Um, on Friday, Trump retweeted tweets disparaging BuzzFeed, saying, quote, this isn't journalism, and many journalists have lost their integrity, and the story, quote, blew up in their face, and the rest of the fake news are casualties. Trump also tweeted, quote, remember it was BuzzFeed that released the totally discredited dossier paid for by crooked Hillary Clinton and the Democrats, adding one which the entire Russia probe is based. That's also not true. Trump also tweeted, a very sad day for journalism, but a great day for our country. Trump later tweeted, repeating a familiar line, fake news is the true enemy of the people, with enemy and people in all capital letters. On Saturday, Trump told reporters, I appreciate the special counsel coming out with a statement, calling it appropriate, and adding, I think the BuzzFeed piece was a disgrace to our country. It was a disgrace to journalism. Trump also tweeted, quoting Newt Gingrich, saying, quote, no president since Abraham Lincoln, who has been treated worse or more unfairly by the media. And Trump added, other than your favorite president, me, exclamation point. Trump also tweeted, quote, many people are saying that the mainstream media will have a very hard time restoring credibility, adding, including the disgraceful BuzzFeed story and even more disgraceful coverage. As we closed out the week, a Pew Research poll found just 29% of Americans think Trump's presidency will be successful. 47% think it will be unsuccessful and 23% say it's too early. The results are the most pessimistic in 25 years. Also notably, the 47% who say unsuccessful is higher than ever measured at any point in any term in the last 25 years for any president and also suggests Trump's approval rating has little chance to improve. As the week came to the close, the government shutdown hit day 29. Trump prepared to deliver a speech reportedly to offer protection from deportation for some undocumented immigrants in exchange for his wall. Exhausting week, folks. But as I said, as we were coming to the end, things would get more chaotic and the list would get longer. And we are certainly there. So until we talk again, make sure you leave a rating and share this podcast. And we'll talk to you next week. Have a great week. Thank you.